Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. I got six kids and they're everywhere right now. I got Couple serving up at Sawyer, and you know, I got a. Don't judge me. I got a travel baseball kid, and so we're. I'm everywhere. Um, and my kids are everywhere. Uh, thanks, uh, Butch, for leading us in worship. I appreciate that. Uh, reminding us of truths. So we not only do we we preach from the Bible, we pray uh, the Bible. We also just sing Scripture and um, and just try to remind ourselves of truths that's so easy to forget. As we turn to Scripture, here's a question uh, for us. Have you ever doubted? Have you ever doubted? Um, perhaps you haven't doubted God. You haven't gone through that struggle of like, man, you know. Um, but you, you questioned. I think we all have spiritual questions uh, from one time or another. I mean, if you look at his word, if you look at the text today, it's, you know, we're looking at it, scratching our heads sometimes like, what does this mean? And so we're studying it. And sometimes we're, we still don't know. We're trying to figure out, okay, what is, you know, this verse or this word? How do you interpret this? And, uh, and then sometimes life just doesn't make sense. And uh, maybe, you, maybe that's where you're at today. Um, maybe, uh, you know, you think, oh, how, you know, once I get married, it's going to be bliss, but it's more work uh, than bliss. Or maybe you're like, hey, parenting, how hard can it be? You know, and then it's like, no, it's hard. Um, or, you know, you get to college, like, this is going to be fun. And then the finals weeks is like, this is not fun. Um, so I was thinking, life just doesn't always work out. There's these mountaintops and then valleys. You know, we have the birth of a, of a child and then you have the death of a loved one. Someone you, you're close to, you're, you have a great friend and then they move away. Um, difficulties greet us with an unpredictability and a frequency that's uncomfortable and inconvenient. Things go uh, from highs to lows pretty quickly. Um, they all seem to kind of live in the same apartment complex. Um, and we believe that here that God is, is sovereign. He's in control. And we believe that he's good at the same time, simultaneously. Um, he's loving um, and powerful. And yet the, the devil, the world, and our flesh have a freedom that works, it seems like, overtime <laughs> uh, these days. And we can experience the consequences of it. And God promises to bring good out of evil for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But what if, um, what if we're just not seeing it? Um, where do we go with that kind of wrestling? And so I, I really want to speak to that. And so you may not be there right now, but I, I think over time we'll get there. You know, in life's ups and downs, there'll be the down for you sometimes. So to, you can file this away. Uh, the, the person we're going to be looking at, he's, he's in, I think, one of those down times. Um, I th- we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. He's wrestling in a way and experiencing injustice. He's suffering for the truth, and he goes to Jesus. And so we're going to go to Jesus. We're going to go to Jesus through the scriptures. Jesus says that John's the most extraordinary man, and if it works for him, then... Um, I think it's going to work for us. So uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to have them projected up here. We're using the English Standard Version of the Bible. And uh, John Hoekstra is going to come up here. Do you have a microphone? 
he's going to read for us. And we've got this tradition of standing in honor of God's word. So would you stand as we hear God's word read? Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news to preach to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Where did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violence taken by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears, let him hear. Thanks, John. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a flashlight for our dark path. A scalpel in the hand of a surgeon, it's like water in a desert for travelers. It's food for famished migrants. It's Jesus' word to us, and there for us to save us from death and hell. We read it that Jesus has authority over so much nature, sickness, spiritual realm. Heavenly Father, speak to us. Remind us of what he said and what he did by the Holy Spirit for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So let me just kind of go over and give us the context. So where have we been in Matthew? We're working through Matthew verses by verse. And he tells us Jesus is the king that God had promised long ago. Matthew is the author. He's a tax collector and a close follower of Jesus. He begins his book with a genealogy describing the events surrounding Jesus' birth and early years. When Jesus was in his 30s, John the Baptist, his relative, baptizes him. The Father speaks from heaven and blesses him. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and leads him out into the wilds where he camps out for 40 days, not eating, and the devil comes and tempts him, and he doesn't give in. He leaves and begins teaching and healing and calling men some young men to himself, 12. Crowds gathered, and so does opposition. Matthew wants the readers, here's the big idea, he wants them to follow the promised king into the kingdom. And this king, Jesus, and his empire are like any, unlike any other. The king had and has authority to teach God's word and do miracle after miracle after miracle. In chapter 10, what happens? He sends out his 12 with that same authority to teach 
and do miracles. They go out and they spread the good news that a new era is upon them. Some would receive this message and others would not. Some would attack them, others would support them. We see this reality illustrated in the life of John the Baptist in chapter 11. He had his followers and he had his haters. Let's dive into chapter 11. I see four sections. Verse 1, verses 2 through 6, verse 7 through 14, verse 15. One's a setting, defining Jesus is the next part, defining John, and then the summary. This is going to guide us as we kind of work through this. Uh, In reading the Bible, we want to ask, what does it say? Before we ask, what does it mean to me? Ask, what, is it, what does it say? And we can look at summary statements like verse 15, or we can look at repeated words, or differences, settings, different contexts, different um, themes. We can look at re- repetition to help us get at what is it saying. But another question we ask is, why are they here? Why are these verses here? Because it could say a lot of different things. Why do these verses uh, exist in this portion of Scripture? So Matthew has a reason why he puts them here, and I want to get at that. These 15 verses are are Q&A questions uh, for Jesus, and he has answers regarding the identity of who Jesus is and who John is. I think they're here to tell us when facing trials, recall God's words and work. When facing trials, recall God's words and work. Let me say that. Say that again. When facing trials, recall God's words and and God's work. God wants to encourage us when we face our difficulties, and we will face difficulties. John's in a difficult place. So let's look at the text. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. It gives us kind of the setting of where we are. Look at this. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, that's chapter 10, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He was going out to their cities. Is this where they're from? Maybe. Is this where they just were? Possibly. What is he doing? He's preaching. What is he preaching? We don't know, but likely what he's already said could be something like the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying the kingdom is here. The king is here. Pay attention. The prophecies of old are coming true. This is the good news. Verse 2, we hear a problem, though. We see a problem, verse 2, uh, defining Jesus, 2 through 6. John, as I said, was in jail. Look at verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In chapter 4, verse 12, we already know that John is in prison. Chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us that John is in prison. Authorities had incarcerated him. In chapter 14, we learn why. Do you remember why? Why was he arrested? John had confronted a ruler by the name of Herod about his relationship, his wife. This is a different Herod. You may have recalled the name Herod. Herod, we've heard that before. In chapter 2, Herod the Great does what? He hears that wise men come to town, and they want to they celebrate a king has been born. He says, come back and tell me where he lives, where he is. What do they do? They don't come back. They get a dream. They go a different way back to their country. Well, is Herod satisfied with that? No. He needs to find this king and kill the king. And so what does he do? 
when this king is born and he doesn't see the wise men, he figures everyone who's two and under, all the boys, must die. And so he slaughters in Bethlehem all the children two and under. That's Herod the Great. The Herod in chapter 11 is his son, Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas. And we learn in chapter 14 that John confronts him about his wife. Before she was his wife, she was his brother's, and uh, Philip, and, uh, and he doesn't care, and takes her as his wife. John tells them this is unlawful, this isn't right, and Herod doesn't appreciate this. He's offended. Who is John to lecture Herod? And so he throws him in prison. Thus John sat, waiting. The prophecy of the Old Testament spoke of justice and judgment and the end to come. And I think that's what's in mind. We talked about this in Sunday school. His expectations were here, and this is reality. Chapter 35 of Isaiah, you don't have to go there, but I'm going to go through some, some prophecy, and we'll have them projected here. We also have the, the manuscripts available on the Connect card. You can fill that out and turn it in, and you can get uh, the weekly emails that have our manuscripts. But Isaiah 35, verse 4, if you want to write this reference down, it says this, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And I think this is the kind of verse that's in John's mind when he thinks about what is Jesus supposed to do? I'm sitting here in prison for doing, speaking the truth and I need saving. I want vengeance. John probably wanted this verse to come true right at that moment. He probably wanted to be saved, comforted, and see the vengeance of the Lord. If you remember, in chapter 3, we've seen John before, he said this of Jesus, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy even to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus spoke like he was going to bring about justice and judgment. We, we might remember that in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He quoted Malachi even to the listening crowd about who John was when his disciples left. The passage he quotes from Malachi is Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Behold, I send my messenger, that's John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me, that's Jesus, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire. And I think John wanted Jesus to do a little refining, to bring a little judgment, to do a little winnowing, to get, get him out of these rotten bars that he suffered. It'd be nice to clean houses. This is a, a perverted Israelite ruler, yet vengeance was slow. Justice was slow. And instead, John experienced a thrashing. He suffered injustice for speaking up. He suffered judgment and his imminent death. In fact, in chapter 14, we learn that his head will be falling for his truth-telling. 
From, from John's perspective, things were horrible. If Jesus was doing beautiful things, he's not experiencing it. And maybe you've been in those places where you're like, man, I thought it was supposed to be better than this. You know, I'm doing all the right things, and it doesn't seem like to be working out. God does what he wants when he wants. His word is not like a, an appliance manual. Sometimes he says something very directly, and other times he speaks in a story, and there's a theme behind, or a, 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 a point behind the story. And other times he uses metaphors when he's talking about the future and images that even the brightest, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, what does this dragon mean, you know? God can throw a curveball better than a pitcher, and John, a devout follower of God and his word, was unsure of what's going on. I, I, he doesn't get it. He has questions. Are you the one to come? He asks. Are you the one? You remember, he's given his life for this. He's gone off into the wilderness. He's wearing camel's hair. I mean, come on. He's wearing camel's hair, and he's got all these followers, and he's like, the guy who's coming after me is mightier than I, and here he is. In John, it says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he, when he says Jesus, there he is. We found him. And he has questions. And how does Jesus respond to his question? What's his answer? Look at verse 4, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 11, verse 4, go and tell John what you hear and see. Go tell John what you hear and see. What do they hear and see? Well, verse 5 and 6 gives us an example or gives us kind of a template of what they hear and see. It says this, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think these are seven footholds for faith in the midst of trials. If you've been following along on Sunday, Matthew has specifically laid out examples of each, minus the deaf hearing. But we see that in Mark chapter 7. And, and, and it's interesting, the Greek word for deaf is the, um, the same as mute. And so we see the mute speak elsewhere in Matthew. But in chapter 9, for example, he made two blind men to see. In chapters 8 and 9, we have two blind men, paralytic men, walking. Paralyzed men walking. In chapter uh, 8, we see lepers cured. I said already in Mark chapter 7, a person who can't hear receives back his hearing. In chapter 9, a dead girl is raised to life again. She comes to life. In chapter 5, Jesus speaks good news to those who are poor, poor in spirit. Now, did Matthew include these, this catalog to fit what he's already said? I don't think that's going on. That's what's going on. Did he mention this? Because he doesn't mention casting out demons or calming storms. He doesn't mention some of the different categories that we do, we do experience already in Matthew. Are these specific things that John's disciples had witnessed, had seen and heard? I think so. But I think Jesus is doing something else with this list. So we're going to go back in time, 700 years to Isaiah. I think Jesus is bringing up specific messianic markers that John would know about in Isaiah in a couple different passages. In a couple different passages, we see the, the, the blind receiving sight, the deaf hearing, um, the good news to the poor. And so let me just go to a few chapters here. 
Isaiah 29, for example. It says this, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Isaiah 42, hear you deaf, look you blind that you may see. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, Jesus concludes, those are just some examples. Jesus concludes in chapter, um, with this beatitude we don't read in Chapter 5, beatitude being a blessing, this, uh, a blessing. Blessed are those who aren't offended by me. That's what he says. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. Well, do we see this in Isaiah? We do. It's kind of a little different, a little different form in chapter 8 of Isaiah. It speaks this. Those who are offended by the Messiah are not blessed. Chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. And he will become, talking about the Messiah, a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. The fact is Jesus was and is the Messiah, and John's disciples heard and saw signs that he is who they thought he was. He is whom Isaiah predicted. And to some, that is good news. And to others, that's offensive. To some, it's their last-ditch hope. And to others, they don't want a part of him. The Bible says Jesus came to save us from our sins, and we can't save ourselves. We sang about this. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. It's by grace that we are saved. Grace alone. And he makes it possible for us to be right with God, and that's really good news. We don't have to carry guilt and shame of our past. We can re re just relinquish that kind of burden of trying to be perfect and trying to earn our way to heaven and receive his perfection. He died to give us life, new life, spiritual life in him and a hope of the resurrection, of bodies that don't fall apart, of young, healthy, strong, beautiful bodies in heaven. And that's good news. But some, his message is offensive. And how so? To be saved requires an omission of a needing to be saved. Such an acknowledgement requires us to give up pride and a degree of autonomy. Jesus told people they needed to repent and turn from self to our Savior, to, to God. Jesus-centered Jesus, Jesus allegiance challenges our agenda. Jesus' invitation for life actually begins with death. Remember last week it said we were supposed to take up our cross. Whoever wants to find his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We must take up a cross to find life. This, his words are hard to hear for the proud and self-satisfied. Where are we today? Are we desperate, needy people, open to this invitation of good news, or are we resistant? 
And to some, I think in our day, if you were to say Jesus' words, it's still offensive. People don't want to be confronted. They don't want to submit to Jesus's, you know, wonderful plan for us. They think they're doing pretty well. In Jesus's day, the religious leadership was giving to the poor. They're praying, they're fasting, they're doing all the things. They're not, they're not breaking the Ten Commandments. They don't need a Savior. And maybe, you know, people who don't feel like they need a Savior either. The reality is we're all spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus and we need his saving. And so that's how Jesus becomes offensive. In verses 7 through 9, John's disciples, they take off to take this message to their leader. And Jesus turns to the crowds and he helps define who is this John the Baptist. We've talked about who is Jesus. Now he's going to define who John is. So we talked about the setting and talked about Jesus. Now let's talk about John. Who is he? Look at verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, the answer is no. They didn't go out to see a reed shaken in the wind. They're not on a nature hike. This isn't a, you know, a, a club that's looking for beautiful scenery. No, they went to the Jordan Valley out in the wilderness to hear something, to hear a message. John told people the truth. He called them to repent. The time has come. The king of God is near. He challenged them, and he, he used tough words. Reminds me of, um, there's a restaurant in Chicago, Ed DeBevick's. And if you've heard of that, kind of a tough restaurant that's kind of entertaining in that way, or you listen to talk show hosts that just are really mean and rude. Like, he speaks truth. He's a truth teller. And people went out to see this. This is a scene. They didn't go out to see a, a reed shaking the wind. I guess in rabbinic tradition back then, it could have meant that uh, if you're a teacher that is like that, you're just telling people whatever they want to hear. Whatever, however the wind moves, you just kind of communicate that to them, and that's not John. Jesus asked the exact same question in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says this, what'd you go out to see? And then he gives this response, a man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Where is he? Where's John the Baptist? He's out in the wilderness. He's in the river valley, not a palace. He's tough, not effeminate. He wore camel hair and ate locusts. And in Sunday school, I heard that, I guess, it's maybe a locust, like a carob on a, like a bean on a tree. But he's not eating, like, posh lobster and, you know, filet mignon and wearing royal robes and peppermint, eating peppermint bonbons. He is in the wilderness, and that's where they went. And Jesus asked this question a third time. He's trying to answer, who is John? Look at verse 9. The final time he asks, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yeah. I tell you more than a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet. So what is a prophet? A prophet speaks on behalf of God. He speaks on behalf of God unlike any other. He was austere, disciplined, and the only one, the only prophet predicted in Malachi chapter 4. And Jesus alludes to this at the end of our passage. If you look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, you don't need to go there, but you can note it. Chapter, five, or chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is the last part of the Old Testament. 
And it's the last part before 400 years of silence where there's no more prophets that are being sent out, where people are hungering and thirsting for God to speak and intervene and give them some hope. This people of Israel that was once this nation and this promised land is now occupied by the Roman rulers and their governors and, and their little fiat kingdoms with taxes and oppression. And this is the, the two verses at the end of our Old Testament. Behold, I will send you to Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Elijah's coming, and so am I. John the Baptist was Elijah in a sense, Jesus says. He was the last of the prophets before the day of the Lord. I think that's how he's the greatest. John was not Elijah reincarnated. The angel Gabriel tells John in Luke how he is connected to Elijah in Luke chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. He, meaning John, will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from, from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The same spirit that was in him was the same po- and the same power rested on him as God's spokesperson in Eli- of Elijah hundreds of years prior. Jesus knew John was whom Malachi predicted. And he went on to tell the crowd, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? Is that confusing? How do we understand verse 11? John the Baptist greater than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David? How so? In Sunday school, we read Hebrews chapter 11. It tells of those who come before the followers of of Jesus, it tells of those fathers of the faith, the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. They're looking forward to this reward that's kind of enigmatic, kind of a puzzle. They're looking forward to the city, the good news. None of them could enjoy it because Jesus had not come and completed his mission. He, John the Baptist was the herald, the last herald of the Messiah, and he dies before he could see the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the least follower of Jesus, the least of us, can look back in time to the cross and the empty tomb and see the truth in a rearview mirror. When it comes to verse 12, so that's how John is the greatest and the least is greater than he. And in verse 12, what does that mean? Look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? And I, my one commentator I read said there's like seven different, you know, valid, you know, ways or way, different ways of interpreting that. From John's day, there's been aggression against heaven, 
and before. I, I found this verse to be a little confusing. And we spent, we, pastors, we have uh, four youth interns, we had an elder, and we're, we have like six people who've like studied this last week. And we were all talking about this for like for an hour. And not just this verse, but this passage. And this was, took up part of that time. So this commentator, I, I, I like, uh, R.T. France says this, the days of John the Baptist are clearly located in the past and have been succeeded by the kingdom of heaven, which is already has a history between John's time and the present. At the time of Jesus' ministry, that history is still very short. By the time Matthew's writing, it has extended another generation or two. That history, short or long, is not one of unmixed triumph for God's purpose. So it's not just keeping it better and better and better but paradoxically has been marked throughout by violence. John himself has already suffered the violence of imprisonment, soon to be followed by execution. Jesus and his followers have already been received with a hostility, which if it had not been yet resulted in physical violence, will so soon do so, both for Jesus himself and for his disciples. So if you remember, the, king of, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence by Herod the Great. He slaughters those boys in, in Bethlehem. The kingdom of heaven has suffered for John the Baptist with, the, with his son Herod. We, we read earlier in Matthew that, that there was sheep in wolves' clothing, and the Pharisees and the teachers and laws opposed Jesus. And they, they kind of said well, he's doing this by the work of the devil. His, do his, magic, his miracle works. On the flip side, in a way, those who are violent move towards the kingdom in heaven in good ways. Jesus encouraged people to gouge out their eye, to cut off their hand, to take up their cross in a metaphorical sense. The kingdom of heaven is under attack since the fall, and following Jesus requires radical devotion. Both are true. Both are simultaneously true and John knows each interpretation personally. So let's look at verse 15. So we've talked about this, this, this setting, you have this problem. Who is Jesus? Are you the one to come? And then we get to verse Jesus' answer, looks at what you've seen and heard. And then he, he goes to John. Who is John? To the crowd. And he goes through three different responses, and we kind of land on one. He is the, the one to come. He's the, the messenger about the Messiah. And in verse 15, what does he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a summary. What are we supposed to hear? We all have ears. What are we supposed to hear? What is Jesus getting at? I think he wants us to remember what he said and did. When facing trials, let's recall God's words and work. When facing trials, and we're all going to face trials Let's recall what God said and recall what he's done. God's truth answers our doubts. It's normal to struggle. Jesus cites experience in Scripture like Isaiah 8 and 29 and 35 and 42 and 61. He refers to Malachi 3 and 4. And other, I mean, other Scriptures too. When we go through disasters or disappointments, I think it's helpful for us to recall our past and God's provision. I think it's helpful to remember Scripture and the promises of God. God answers prayer, and he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He is with us, 
and the king remains on the throne in the good days in the bad. He operates on his timetable and not ours and does what's best, and we're better off turning to him again and again and again in the midst of our trials. So here's a couple questions to think through as we kind of work through this discipline of pursuit of God in the midst of trials. How do you deal with disappointments? In the past, how have you dealt with disappointments? I mean, do you self-medicate and try to find a solution that kind of is apart from God? Or do you run to him? Do you run to him in prayer? What scripture is particularly helpful for you when you face trials? Are there verses you go to? Maybe it's time to find a new one. Maybe you haven't found a verse that's helpful. And recall a promise of scripture, a blessing, a word of Jesus. In the coming weeks, we're going to hear some very comforting words from Jesus in Matthew. Thirdly, what might it look like for you to see and hear Jesus this week? What might it look like to see and hear Jesus? If Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him, the spirituality extends beyond this time you've given today, what does it look like to follow him, to see and hear what he did and said? That'd be my challenge for you is to consider how have you dealt with disappointments? What scriptures are helpful in your face as you face trials? And what might, it, what might it look like as you see and hear Jesus in the week ahead? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your son. Uh, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to fill us and comfort us. And as we face the ups and downs of life, I pray that we would not forget what you've done that we would run to you for answers like John and, that, and his disciples, and that we would listen to what you said and have ears to hear. God, help us in our journey, and thank you for the opportunity to worship you and praise you, for you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.